If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to First Peter. First Peter will jump into chapter two, starting in verse one. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, laying all that aside, as newborn babes desire, long for the sincere milk of the word. And that word sincere literally is a compound of that word guile up there and not. The, work that has, the word that has no guile. There's no deceit. There's no treachery. It is pure. The sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You can't desire that milk until the Lord's already given you a taste for it. And once you've got that taste, oh, we need it. We need it. And you need Him. We need Him. To whom coming, Jesus is whom we're coming, as unto a living stone, Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen or elect of God, and precious, valuable, highly valuable. You see how Jesus is talked about in our culture, and men don't value him. They mock him. See treatment on cartoons like Family Guy. It's it's a joke. He's a swear word. Right? His name is a swear word in our culture. It ought not be. He is highly valuable. And to us he is. Ye also as lively stones or living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Why is anything that you do acceptable to God? Because of Jesus Christ's work. He has made you acceptable, and so when you offer up spiritual sacrifices, they are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So let's take just a moment and think about some of those. We touched on it last week, but if you'll go back a couple of books to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15. And I was encouraged to give you all more time to flip, so I'm going to try and go a little slower to have flipping time. It's a good feedback. We're having Bible studies on Wednesday night. I'm learning, so try to apply. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. By Him, Jesus Christ. Again, how can we do anything? By Him. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. We're talking about being a spiritual priesthood, living stones, a spiritual house, offering up spiritual sacrifices. Well, here's four really good examples. Praise, your praise to God, by the work of Jesus Christ, is acceptable. Your praise is a sacrifice. Your giving thanks by your lips is a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to Him. Why do we pray? It's not just asking for stuff. We're communing with Him and we are worshiping Him. We are praising Him and we are thanking Him. That is a spiritual sacrifice. That is good. It's pleasing to Him. So that's from our our face. right? Verse 16 says, But do good. right? We're not living in lip service only. Is looking for the opportunities to affirmatively, in action, do good. Do things that please Him. Serve others. Serve Him through service. And to communicate. And that word communicate in King James, that's generally used in the context of giving. Whether that's money or time or whatever it is, it's seeing a need and then actually doing something about it rather than just stopping it. Well, I'll pray for you whether you actually pray for them. And y'all be serious. If you ever use the expression, I'll pray for you, you jolly well need to follow through on that. Otherwise, you are a liar. And you're lying to God, not just them. Okay? 
Ideally, if somebody needs prayer, pray for them right then. You want to make the biggest impact on them? I mean, God's going to know when you pray either way. But if you want to make somebody feel loved, pray then. Want to make somebody uncomfortable? (laughs) That's okay. Sometimes we need a little uncomfort. (laughs) But if you really want me to pray to my God, okay. I'll pray. Well, let's pray right now. There's never a bad time. But do good, communicate, forget not. With which such sacrifices God is well pleased. Now those things, those are the exact opposite of what, if you go back to chapter 2, 1 Peter, that he's telling you to lay aside. Malice, guile, deceit or trickery, hypocrisies, playing the part. Acting the part, but not really from the heart. Envies, being jealous of what somebody has or what somebody thinks or what whatever it is. Evil speakings, that's you know, legal terms, that's slander. I think libels, if you write it down, slanders if you say it out loud. But evil speaking, talking bad about folks, that's, those are not acceptable and well-pleasing. That's, that's the old man, that's the things of the flesh. Lay that aside. Wave my hand over here and my camera's catching and it's distracting me. <laughs> Lay aside. This is, you know, this pattern is found throughout First Peter. Of what do we lay aside? What do we do instead? It's not just stop these bad things, but you got to affirmatively do something in its place. You just leave a void in your life, something's going to fill it. Right? So fill it with good things. So back in uh, verse 14 of chapter 1, it said, Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But what's the positive? As obedient children, being sober in your mind, hoping to the end, girding up the loins of your mind, being holy. Not that, but this. Okay? And what, what is, you know, former lust? We don't sometimes we use that word, sometimes we don't. It is a sensual desire, often a lawless passion. It is when you are craving things that please your senses whether things that you see or taste or hear or smell, whatever. It is literally you're pleasing your senses and you're craving those things and often, if you don't get them, you get put out. Right? Is it wrong to desire food? No. Your body needs it. Is it wrong to desire it so much that you won't eat unless it is a particular thing of a certain quality and it makes you look a certain way and you can have your socioeconomic status on display with your food? Yeah, that's a problem. Or you eat so much that you are gorging yourself. Right? This is all things in moderation. Let your moderation be known to all men. Right? I can't give you a bright line about where that is in your life. Right? But if you are... Desiring something so much that if you don't get it, you're getting upset, that's probably a problem. Okay, Most likely it is. The lusts of your flesh. Um, and if y'all have questions about what that may be in your life specifically, we can talk about that. We could spend a whole sermon on that. I don't, I don't want to. I think for the most part we know when we're desiring things in this world in lieu of desiring things that are good and profitable and glorify God. Right? All right. So that questioning of where for these spiritual temples, how how are we to use these temples? You know, our bodies are described as being a temple of God. That's where the Holy Spirit dwells when we're born again. That's that's a special thing, right? That then if you look back in the Old Testament when the the Jews or Solomon was instructed to build a temple and God, you know, had his presence visible there. It, there's, there was like a smoke that filled the temple. When he came down that first time, the priest couldn't even minister in there. Right? It was a special place. He said, I'm going to reside here. Now, we know God is everywhere, and it couldn't contain him, but he was showing that I'm going to be here. And you know what they later did with that temple? They completely desecrated it. Years down the road, they're building idols and putting them inside the spot that God said, I'm going to dwell. Right? And they're just all manner of evil and untold, worshiping the sun, they did not use that physical temple in a way that glorified God. When we use and misuse our bodies in our life, it's the same thing. We've been created for His glory, 
And when we misuse that, that's a shame on us. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, First Corinthians chapter 6, and the context of this is fornication with a harlot, but we'll just jump in a little bit farther. In verse 18 it says, Flee fornication. Fornication is all manner of sexual sin. Flee it. Outside of marriage, there is no other acceptable um, opportunity. Everything else is sexual sin. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Here's a question. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? That's very contrary to the American spirit. I'm an old man. I pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can go my own way. You can't tell me anything. You're not your own. You're Christ's. You're His. He bought you. Verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You were purchased by a very, very high price. Christ's blood. He bought you. You're His. You're His bond slave. He owns you, your body and soul and spirit. It's all His. And what are you to do with it? Glorify Him. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, if you want to know how to glorify Him, and you are purchased by Christ, who do you think you ought to be looking to to figure out what glorifies Him? I'll give you a hint. It's not yourself. Our culture really likes the, the self-determination. I get to pick. This is my reality. This is my... I mean, I can say who I am or what I am and what I'm going to do, and it's all up to me, 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 me. And you can't argue with me because it's my standard. Right? That's not us. Right? We're bought by Christ. We look to Christ. What does He say? What did He do? What example did He give? All right? So if you go to Ephesians, letter to the Ephesians, in chapter 5, let's start with, what did Christ love? Ephesians chapter 5, and down in verse 25, it's teaching a lesson to husbands here, but it applies generally as well. It says, husbands, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Well, how? How much? Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify, purify it, set it apart as holy, and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, as a husband, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So, men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, his own body, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. All right. So there's, there's one lesson there we could take and expand upon and just remind you husbands of how much are you to love your wives? You're to love them as much as Christ loved the church. That's what your marriage is a picture of. Christ is the husband, the church is the bride. In your marriage, your wife is like the church and you need to love her with the same love that Christ had for his church. Your marriage is a picture of Christ's love for the church. That's important. When you go into a marriage, it's not just to please you, okay? It's to please God. How you care for your bride, men is a reflection on Christ. Either it's a positive reflection or it's a sorry, distorted reflection. But either way, we're pointing to Him. We won't go there in the big picture, but for now, the point that I want you to take away was that what did Christ love? We're looking for Him for an example. How do we glorify God? Christ loved the church. We are individual members of the church. What do you think we ought to love? His church! If Christ loved it, we should love it, and we're part of it. And so, on a collective scale, we should love His church, His family. 
our brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the church, the called out assembly, those that God has called out of this world to follow Him, right? It's who we should love. And kind of, sometimes it's easy to say that in the global game, right? Well, I love my church, right? Well, I'm going to drill that down even farther is that you're to love the individual members of the church and individual brothers and sisters. It's not just, well, I like the big picture, but I have a hard time with so and so. Right? You're to love individuals. Because you know what? If Christ had had that standard with me, I love everybody, but, but Jonathan there, I have a hard time with him. Yeah, he did. And does. But he covered those sins too. Right? And there's nothing that you could do to me that I haven't done worse to Christ. Right? We have offended him in a million ways with our sins far more than any one of you could hurt me. And yet He still loved each and single, every single one of us, every single one of His children, and paid for every single one of His children. That's the standard. Love one another. It's explicit in John chapter 13. We're going to have our communion service a little bit later. And we are going to follow His pattern that's talked about in John 13. We'll talk about that later, about uh, washing the saints' feet. But after He's done that, in John 13 and 34, He's... He's going to be arrested that night. He's going to be crucified the next day. You know, the end is not. All right? 33, John 13 and 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say unto you. He's, he's, talking about he's, going, to, he's going to die. He's going to be resurrected, and he's going to ascend up. So what's the big message he wants them to have before he goes? A new commandment I give unto you. That ye love one another. Well, just just any old love? Nope. Love one another as I have loved you. Take the pattern that I've given and implement it to each other. That ye also love one another. It's repeated it, right? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. What do you hear the world talk about when they talk about Christians? They tend to talk about hypocrisy, right? Lip service but not following through. It's probably right for the world to say that because it's true. If we're going to be genuine followers of Christ, we can't do that. We have to serve fully, from the heart out. Love in word and love in deed. Okay? Because we're being watched. We're being watched by our children for what is an example of loving the Lord's saints. And we're being watched by the world. We should be consistent. If you love one another, it says even there, all men will recognize that you're a follower of Christ because you know what? That's strange. That's weird. That'll stick out. If you're actually following through on that, folks will notice. They may not agree with you and they may mock you and think you're a nut, but that's okay. They'll recognize you. That should be the hallmark, the stamp of that's a follower of Christ. Not lip service to them, not memes on Facebook that say, look, I'm a Christian, right? but living out that love day after day after day, regardless of the situation. It's not a conditional love. You've been good to me, and therefore I love you. Jesus said, no, Bubba, that's the standard of the world. Even the publicans, those, those tax collectors who worked for the Romans that were so hated, even they're nice to their friends. He says, that's not hard. It's harder to love when things are rough. Right? Love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you go to the next chapter, he's going to repeat himself. Well, not necessarily repeat himself, but he's talking about a new commandment I give you. Verse 15 of chapter 14 says, If you love me. How many folks you hear say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't want to do what he says. I don't want to implement what His Word says in my life. Then do you really love Him? Or are you just saying that? 
If you love me, verse 15 says, keep my commandments. What's the difference between being a hearer of the commandments and a doer? Doing, right? One's actually trying to do. Will you do it perfectly? No. You're, you're fallen. You've got an old man. You're going to battle with the sin nature all the time. But the difference is one's just saying, yeah, I heard that. And I can teach other people about it. But as far as actually doing the hard work of trying to apply it and live it out, well, I don't want to go there. I might have to lose some of the things that I enjoy doing. Right? Those lust of the flesh and the pride of the eyes and the things that the old man craves and desires. Okay? Now, I have heard it said by preachers, well, you know, the Apostle John, he just really focused on love. You know, he, that, he, was, he was kind of the, the love apostle. Um, and that was his, his thing. Well, I don't really like talking in that terms because God's the writer, right? He, he used some men to pin it down, but his themes, they flow across the books. Uh, now, give it. John in the Gospel, he did use the word love at, at least 19 times. He just did a quirk word. So it, it's there. And if you go to 1 John, um, it's, it's very um, bold and prevalent. And so we'll, I'm going to look at a few of these examples of just how important and how often it's rep- repeated throughout Scripture of emphasizing love. 1 John, the first epistle of John, chapter... Chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even unto now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in the darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. There is a distinction made between those who are claiming to be in the light of Christ. Christ is the light, Jesus is the light, walking in him, and yet they're still living in this world where they're hating brothers and sisters. Can't have it. It can't be. That's one of the hallmarks that you're a follower of Christ, is that love. And it's a supernatural love. It's something that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Okay. If you go to chapter 3 of the same letter, and down to verse 10, um, in this the children of God are manifest. In this the children of God are revealed, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. We're talking about Genesis. In our Bible study, we looked at Cain and Abel. Here's a reference to Cain. What did he how did it be how was it revealed that he wasn't righteous? By his hatred for his brother. His jealousy and envy led him to murder. How depraved is man? The very second generation from creation, Adam and Eve, and then they had two sons, and there's murder. That's, that's our total depravity of our human nature. That's how evil we are by nature. And that's how amazing it is that God would love us and that He will give us new life in the Holy Spirit and change that nature. Not as Cain, who was that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew him? Why did he slay him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. So marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death into life. We know that you've been born again, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brethren abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we, we have the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. That's the standard. That's a high standard. And yet we get out of shape shape when we're asked to do much, 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 much less. Right? 
But whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth the brothers have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. So do you need an assurance this morning that you're a child of God? Do you love the Lord's children? If you do, you can be assured. That wouldn't be your case if you were still dead in trespasses and sins. You wouldn't. Okay? So is love important? Absolutely. Second epistle of John. Um, it's only one chapter. One, um, But down in verse 5 it says, Now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Verse 6, and this, is that, and this is love, that we walk after His commandments. That's a very different definition of love than the world will give you. This is love, that we walk after His commandments. Loving the Lord, loving His people, and obeying Him. Okay? So yeah, John had a, a lot of focus on love. But he wasn't the only one. Go back to the Philippian letter. Just a few examples in Paul's writings. Letter to the Philippians. Chapter 1 and verse 9. What's he praying for this church? I pray that your love may abound yet more. And more in knowledge and in all judgment. He's praying they're already loving. Love more. I'm praying that the Lord will bless you to love more. Over in chapter 2 of the same letter. Verse 2. Fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded having the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. Love Love important to the Apostle Paul? Yes. What do you so often hear quoted at weddings? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? The love chapter. The context of this chapter is talking about spiritual gifts. The folks at Corinth wanted to have the coolest spiritual gifts so they could look cool. And he's saying, even if you had the best of those things and you don't have love, he says, you ain't got anything. Verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. So, let's put this in the context of me. If I was the best preacher that you had ever heard and I could speak in any language I wanted to, you know, I could go over to Spain, I could speak there. If I go over to Russia, I could speak there in their native tongue. And I'm preaching the gospel and all these things. If I had the best speaker, and yet my motivation is not love. If I don't have love, it's in I might as well be up there banging a cymbal or smashing a little triangle. There's nothing there. It's all just show. It's hypocrisy. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Charity should be very central to our life. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Right? You saw somebody doing those things, you think, wow, look at that follower of Christ. But if the motivation isn't a love for Christ and love for his people, it's just for show. It's empty. So what is love? What is real charity? Charity... Um, if you look up the definition of the word charity in an older dictionary, um, it'll give you something that says, like, Christian love. You won't find that in a modern one, but charity suffereth long. Other versions may say patience. Suffering long. That gives you a real vivid description, right? It means it's not always easy. In uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul would commend them on their labor of love. Right? There's some effort that goes into caring and ministering to other sinners. Right? Charity suffereth long and is kind. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That's one of my children's memory verses. We have to say it a lot because often as brothers we're not kind to each other and often as adults we're not kind to each other. We can be short-tempered and we can slip up and we can allow things to get under our skin that we ought to let go. To be long-suffering, 
kind. It envieth not. It's not jealous. Someone else has better gifts or stuffs or time or whatever. Look at them. I'm irritated. <laughs> no. That's not charity. Charity envieth not. It vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. It's not an inward focus. And if you look at Jesus' example, was He focusing on what He needed? Or His glory? Or His fame? No. Often He's in some obscure land ministering and tending to those that society could care less about. Right? The weak, the infirm, the, the nasty with these diseases, the ones who didn't have any power or prestige, he's off there giving of himself. Rising early and staying up late. Self-sacrificial love. That's the charity we see from Christ. Not puffing yourself up, not being arrogant or boasting. Does not behave itself unseemly, that which is uh, inappropriate. Seeketh not her own. You're not focused in on self-interest. Is not easily provoked. Y'all, I fail there. Ooh, I fail there. It's not easily provoked. Lord, help me to love more that I would not be easily provoked, particularly around my children. Thinketh no evil. I am not assuming the worst in folks. That's not a charitable attitude. I'm assuming, well, I have to make some assumptions based on what someone said or didn't say or where they are or not. Am I assuming the worst? If that's my default, then I'm not being charitable. Whereas charity would assume the best, hope for the best. Right? among each other. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. That's not being happy when somebody gets what's coming to them in our carnal expression. right? Desiring that harm would come. Now the Lord says he's, he's, He is the judge. Vengeance is His. And He will repay. Um, but it's not our job to rejoice in hardship. Rejoice not in iniquity or wickedness. But rejoices in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Okay? So there was several examples from Paul. Um, even in the short little epistle of Jude, the book right before Revelation, in his intro to that letter, he says, Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Be multiplied. A little... Boys and girls are learning about their addition and subtraction. Which grows faster, addition or multiplication? Multiplication, right? Significantly faster. So Jude is saying, here's something that's really important that needs to grow and grow big. Love. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied. All right. So I say all that to go back to 1 Peter. And say, so I want to follow a thread through this book. And look at it. Here you've got letters from John, you've got Paul, you've got Jew, all focusing on love. Well, here's Peter. 1 Peter, starting chapter 1 and verse 8. And 7, you talk about the glory and appearing of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, Whom having not seen, yet ye love. What is your first love? It has to be Christ. If it's anything else, that's what the idol is in your life. Okay? God deserves and should have the first position of importance in your life. If you love anything more than Him, that's the idol. If you love multiple things more than Him, those are the idols. And guess what, guys? We're really good at building idols. Right? doesn't have to be made out of stone or wood out here and bowing down to it, but things that we value and care about more than serving God and serving our Lord, whatever it is, that's the idol. So, love of Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now you see him not, yet believing, and rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So this is your first glimpse into this kind of river of love flowing through First Peter. Go on down... To verse 22 of chapter 1. Seeing ye, talking to these believers here, ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto the unfeigned love of the brethren. Is there feigned love among church members? Yeah, there is. And that's sad. 
Fame means fate. It means I will pat you on the back and say I love you, but if we're not in our presence, you know, I may talk differently. That's not good. That's not real. So, obeying under the unfeigned love of the brothers. Alright, you love one another purely. It's not faked. It doesn't stop there. See that you love one another with a pure heart? Fervently. Intently. Do we all have room to grow in our love? Yes. <laughs> Short answer. Yes. Okay. Alright, continue on down to chapter 2. Verse 17. Honor all, love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. This is the, the, the fraternal group. All right? We are members, brothers and sisters of the same family. Okay? You, know, you think going down to an adoption agency and you gotta, you got to pick a kid. You pick the kid and the judge signs the papers and you pay a lot of money and eventually you can say, this kid is officially in my family. Right? Well, the Lord picked each of you as His children. He did it a long time ago before you ever existed. Right? We're talking about the whole four of the foundational world. That's when He said he, he chose. Okay, And He had to pay a really high price to bring you into His family. And that was the blood of His Son. To put away the sins that we are so gross and vile and covered with every day. Can I, can I get to a point where I don't sin? <laughs> Not while we're still breathing. There'll be a day when there'll be no sin. And He cleaned you up, paid for you with the Son, and brought you into His family. But not just you individually. He brought others. And you'll recognize them because they love one another. And you love them. Are they worthy of your love? You better believe it. Because Christ put the value on them. And that value was great and high and precious. It was His own life. Fear God, honor the king. Love the brotherhood. Continue on to chapter 3, down in verses 8 and 9. It says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one to another. Well compassioned, loving as brethren, being pitiful, being courteous. Be ye kind one to another, courteous. Love as brethren, be pitiful. That means well compassioned. Um, merciful, not rendering evil for evil and railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye thereunto are called that ye should inherit a blessing. Okay, In that context there, verse nine, not rendering evil for evil and railing for railing. That's not talking about interactions outside of the world. That's talking about how we treat each other. I ever heard the expression? Sometimes I got in the flesh. Right? That shorthand for saying is I was a jerk. Right? I acted like what my old man would want to do. And I gave in to that. And that will happen. But the difference is that if you're born again, that's not okay. You go make that right. You acknowledge it. You go be reconciled. Not just leaving it on the rug or, or somehow justifying it. Well, I was provoked. Not rendering railing for railing. That means there was an initial railing. There were two people wrong. One's the initial railing and the other's the response. You can only control your response. Knowing that you're, uh, but contrarywise, blessing. So rather than returning a railing or a, a sharp tongue, you return a blessing. Whether that's praying for them directly or speaking softly or desiring the best for them in spite of how you've been treated, that's real love, right? Was Christ treated very well? No. Did he do anything to deserve it? No. He was treated horribly and ultimately killed, and yet he didn't return. The railing for railing. He didn't, and and that's the example that he gives. All right. If you continue on down to chapter 4 and verse uh, 8, it says, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging, means grumbling. Above all things. Is that important? Is that some pretty strong language? Yeah! Above all things. Have fervent, intense charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Y'all know how many sinners are made up in a church? Yeah. All of them, right? You've got a hundred folks in church. You've got a hundred sinners there. Right? 
we going to have um, spots where we fail one another? Yes, it's going to happen. Kind of like a marriage. How many marriages are made up of sinners? All of them, right? And so we need to have fervent charity among our marriages and among all our relationships, but particularly among the church, because being willing to overlook and forgive and let things go for Christ's sake, right? Be kind one to another and tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. What's the pattern God has given you? He's willing to forgive you all for Christ's sake. And so we should be willing, one, not only to repent when we make up, make a mistake and sin against one another, to confess it and go to be reconciled, but then on the other side, if I've been wrong, I accept it. I don't continue to hold it against them because guess what? God's forgiven them for that. Christ has paid for that. What right do I have to hold something over anybody's head that Christ has paid for? Am I more important than God? Is my judgment or anger or pout fest more important? Not a bit. Right? So that's the standard. Have fervent charity, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. It's covering over. It's not, this is not sweeping things under the rug, right? This is dealing with it and loving one another and moving on. Or, if it doesn't need to be dealt with at all, it's something that I can just overlook this, right? You know, so-and-so was grumpy with me the other day. So-and-so didn't shake my hand. Y'all, there's silly things that, we can, that can bother us, right? Some of them are just, I shouldn't be bothered by that. I'm not going to think ill of them or think the worst of their intentions. It's just I can let that go. I can cover that. If I can't let it go and it's going to be an irritant and a, a sore spot of friction between one another, then I have a duty to go to that person and be reconciled. Okay? And if I know that I've upset somebody, I've got a duty to go to them. So if we're doing this right, both parties in any issue should be going to each other as quickly as they can and as humbly as you can to be reconciled because the goal is reconciliation. Because that's, that's the manifestation of love within the church. Is this hard? Can be. Right? It's a lot more easy. It is a lot more easy. That's some terrible English. It's a lot more easy to be cowardly and just let things fester. Right? Dealing with stuff and approach, approaching people with the right attitude and humility and love is hard. Right? Often it's because we got to swallow some pride. Right? It's easier to just pout and know that I'm right about everything. Right? All right. For charity shall cover a multitude of sins. And then over in chapter 5, you get one more. Verse 14. This is how the letter ends. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. I'm not expecting y'all to go around kissing each other. I'm not asking that. But this is how close and loving these church believers should be. So that when they haven't seen each other in a long time, you know, for all culture, it would be more like embracing. That, that, that hug of love. It's not just, hey, I'm giving you the formal, it's nice to see you, but I've genuinely missed you. We have something great and powerful in common. And y'all, if I ever hear any of you say, I've got nothing in common with those folks at church, y'all, that's a real problem. Christ is the common denominator. If you don't have Him, there's a real problem. Okay? And if you're trying to fill the void and say, well, I need somebody who's got the exact same circumstances that I'm going through, or the age I'm in, or all this, if that has to be what links you together, you're focusing on the wrong thing. It's nice to have those other things and folks in similar seasons of life, but that's not required. All that's required is that we both love Christ. And the only reason any of us can love Christ is because He's already loved us and revealed Himself to us. That's your common denominator. So you're, you're embracing, you're loving one another, kissing one another, with a kiss of charity. All that, all that's in one little letter. Right? This is not a long letter. But this theme of love flows throughout the New Testament. Right? It's very important. Should this be a central component in a disciple of Christ's life? Let me rephrase that. If you were a follower of Christ, you were His disciple. Okay? That's what it means to follow Him. If you are following Him, should love and the manifestation of the love for Christ and for His people be a central component in your life. Yes. It has to be. This is not something that can be um, overlooked or put down. I have a thought and then maybe I can find it real quick.
Continue. I can't. We'll find that another day. So love is a central component. So much so that um, when we talk about communion, you know that one description for that is um, a feast of charity. Go to Jude. Back to Jude in verse 12. Context of this is um, uh, false teachers, false prophets who are... um, They've slipped into the church and they're teaching the wrong things, but they're really... Um, teaching things of the world. All right. Um, well, verse eleven says, "Woe unto them, for they have gone after the way of Cain." Right? Jealousy, envy, murder. Ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Remember, Balaam was that soothsayer who claimed to be a follower of God, and yet when money was offered to him, he's willing to go try and curse God's people. Right? Greedily after the error of Balaam, perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When you have communion together as a church, when you gather together and they're among you, it's like having you know bugs in the tater salad. Okay, spots in your feast. This is this is a problem when they're there. And then the idea is that here in Jude is that you needed to be attuned to them and making sure they're not among you. But that's a description for the communion service. That that feast of charity. We're going to observe communion. We're going to. Uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, but it is an opportunity to come together in love. Okay? So going back to John, the Gospel of John in chapter 15, we'll give this, this standard. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another... As I have loved you, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Going back to that lip service thing of, yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, what a friend I have in Jesus. But if I'm not willing to follow his teachings and implement them into my life, and grow under him, am I really his friend? Or am I a, a false friend? Taking that name, but not wanting to take on the mantle of what it means to love him. And that's the example he's going to give, that self-sacrificial love. He is going to lay down his life for his friends, for all of his children. All right. Let's go back to First Peter. Starting in verse 7, Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Our Lord is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye, you're different, got a different reaction to him, but ye are a chosen generation, an elected generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And that peculiar means particularly purchased. You were bought. And you were bought individually. Not just a lot. I'll take a hundred of those. No. This one. And this one. And this one. Particularly purchased. That ye should show forth the praises of Him. Who hath called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. We talked in Bible study. But where did I come from? Right? And we talked about Genesis. And, and why we're able to believe all that is because of faith. By faith, we understand that God framed the world. Where did I come from? That was answered there in Genesis. Why am I here? Okay, child of God, why are you here? That ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Your darkness, that was when you were in ignorance. That was when you were dead in trespasses and sins. All the things you knew and loved looked just like the world. But He didn't leave you there. He pulled you out of that to have a love for Him and into His marvelous light. And He's revealed Himself to you through His Holy Spirit. And so in times past, you were not a people, right? We weren't part of the the chosen nation of Israel. We We were just Gentiles. We were not a people. But now, you are the people of God. He's revealed to you that, no, you're His family. He's purchased you. You're a people of God. 
which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. This is all about living it out. Okay? You know these truths. You've been taught. You've been called out of darkness into light. Your purpose here is to bring Him praise. How do you live it out? Well, He's begging you. I beseech you. I implore you. As strangers and pilgrims. Strangers and pilgrims here below because this isn't your final home. So don't take a shop and say, I'm going to be just like this in here. No. Act like where you're going to be. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Those sensual lusts which war against the soul. You want to hinder your walk with the Lord? Start engaging in the things of this world. Right? Start over indulging in alcohol. Start um, you know, eating to excess. Just fill in the blank. You know. Right? And if you don't know, we'll talk. Fill in the blank. But if you start indulging in those things that you know to be wrong, how's your walk with the Lord going to be? Not great. Right? It's going to war with your soul. You're going to have this, this conflict and this battle and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Until you finally repent of those things and start laying them down. Lay them aside. I beseech you, abstain from them. That means, that means don't indulge at all. Abstain from the flesh of lust which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. That whereas they speak evil, they speak against you as evil doers. Okay, that's the now, all right? You're living in the world. The Gentiles see you claiming to be a follower of Christ. They may speak evil of you now. Okay? What's the end result? They may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay? You may never convince them here. They may hate you your whole life. They may speak evil of you your whole life. But on the day of judgment... They will have observed you and they'll know the standard that Christ put on you and they say, God, I have to glorify you because your follower over there was doing good works in spite of me because I hated them and I did I threw stumbling blocks and cast stones. And so even Christ's enemies are going to glorify him and your faithful service to him of doing good in spite of the world's adversity and hatred, in spite of when we cause problems with each other, if you continue to do what's right, He's going to get glory. Okay, So even your enemies, even Christ's enemies, will glorify Him on that last day when they see, because they're going to see and observe and watch your good work. So those who you know, are talking about modern Christians, well, they're just a bunch of hypocrites, and they may say that about generally, but if they see and observe your life, they may never say a good thing about you while you're alive. But on that last day, they'll have to say, Lord... This one was serving you. He was doing works in your name. I think that's probably enough for today. Anybody have a song you like?